All right, there we go. We're recording. Keenan Dunham, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Um, you know, I've talked to two of the other candidates uh, running for president in 2024 so far, uh, Joshua Rodriguez and Mike Termont. So, being able to have you on the show is uh, is pretty awesome. It's 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 neat to see the podcast becoming you know like a like a stop on the libertarian presidential trail. So. Uh, it's been really cool to talk to all of you guys, and it's really interesting to talk to you today because we're we're recording this at a little after four central on Saturday. I usually put the podcast out uh, on Monday, but we've had some uh, pretty interesting news happen over the past uh, couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, I live in Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina. Today, President Biden actually... gave the order to shoot. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell the story. Um, yeah. So uh, he, he gave the order to, to uh, blow up the weather balloon or whatever you want to call it, supposedly from China over our airspace. And uh, they waited for it to go over the ocean. Well, I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and it was right overhead. We saw it this morning floating by, and then we saw it blown up by our jets and heard two large explosions that pretty much shook the glass and all the houses around here. It was right off the coast in Myrtle Beach. Pretty amazing sight. So you had been watching it like up until up until that moment. You you witnessed like it getting shot down and and everything. That is wild. You say it shook the windows in the house, huh? Yes, absolutely. It was two large explosions. I don't know if there were two balloons or one, but I heard two explosions and I, then I saw the debris. I saw the little metal shatters coming down over the ocean. So I guess they waited until it went over the ocean. So it wouldn't harm anybody. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, it may, it makes sense to me. I know other people were, you know, giving, giving the president a fair amount of shit for not shooting it down sooner. But I mean, it, you know, it kind of does just make sense that he would wait until the balloon is over the ocean. So it wouldn't, you know, the debris wouldn't fall on anybody. Very glad it didn't fall on your uh, <laughs> your house there in South Carolina. That, that would have been terrible. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was a small balloon. I, I doubt it would have done much. But, you know, I'm sure he had uh, plenty of, you know, uh, advisement by the military that it was no imminent threat. So um, I, I would, you know, create, uh, treat this as a real light hand, you know, uh, not be reactionary to something like this if it was me, my, uh, you know, as president myself. Yeah, there's not really a need to make this, you know, out to be any more than it is. I, you know, I saw, you know, they were they were saying earlier that they were able to um, stop it from gathering uh, intel as it flew over, and they were actually able to to gather intel on the balloon itself. And like you said, I mean. The president had a number of people around him helping him make uh, these decisions. And I think you are absolutely right. You know, nobody wants this to escalate to something, you know, anything any bigger. We shouldn't anyway. No, nobody should want that. So, uh, you know, I, I think you are absolutely right. It, it doesn't have to be some kind of, you know, just major thing. We don't have to make it out to be bigger than it bigger than it actually is. Exactly, because what is China doing? They're testing us by doing something like this. So we don't want to react. Exactly. That, yeah, I, I feel like that's 
it's probably a big part of, you know, why um, it was sent over here in the first place, just to kind of see how we would react to what our uh, reaction would be. And um, <laughs> yeah, just, just judging by some of the things I've seen on Twitter over the past couple of days, I feel like we can definitely say some people uh, overreacted to, uh, to say the least. Right. Well, I also think that they want uh, a reaction so that they can feel like they can take their next steps. So, uh, you know, whether we blame it on that or whether we scold them or whatever, they want uh, us to be able to be blamed for their people. They want to be able to blame us right. for saying something. And, you know, it wasn't a different country. It wasn't Germany. It wasn't the UK. Uh, they want us to be the ones to blame. So uh, I think we need to um, not be reactionary. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, how is uh, how is the campaign trail treating you so far? I know it's you know very early uh, in the process. The, you know, the Libertarian Convention is, I, I don't know, 15, 14, 15, 16 months away, something like that. So we're you know, super early in the process, but... Um, you know, what, what does your campaign look like so far? What, you know, what kind of events have you been doing? What, what does that look like here in these early stages? Yes, it's definitely the early stages. I won't be filing with the FEC until January of next year. And of course I'll be going to different state conventions next year, just like I did in 2020 and 2016. I'll go to state conventions and talk to people, but I'm talking to people now and already announcing I'm running. And actually, I've been announced for quite a while, and my website's been up, Dunham2024.com, and I'm accepting volunteers. So I'm building the infrastructure for the campaign right now, basically. Yeah, and what, um, you know, you, you ran for president in 2020 and 2016 as well. What was that first experience like in 2016? Had you run for office before? Did you have any idea what to expect? What was that first experience? presidential run like for you? Yes, I ran in 2016 and uh, I was only actually when I announced I was only 32 years old. I uh, would have only been 35 right before the election. And uh, I went to the national convention. It was amazing. It was in Orlando, Florida. It was like a big party of libertarians, you know, and uh, met so many people. and uh, just been an activist since then. Um, I basically am putting ideas out there that I want people to adopt, you know, as they choose. And uh, I can go into my campaign a little. Uh, the four major points of my campaign are to eliminate the personal income tax, legalize all cryptocurrencies, legalize cannabis in all states, of course, South Carolina. We have the worst laws, and it's pretty much Jim Crow laws still here in South Carolina, and also to legalize gambling nationwide. And it's basically to unleash the American economy uh, into the stratosphere and into where we can go into space and things like that and get the government out of controlling the economy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, those, those four major issues of your campaign, you know, throughout the, you know, the 2016, 2020 election and now 2024, you know, in the, in the different conversations you've had, you know, at these conventions with, with voters there on the ground, you know, what, what has been the, the reception 
to these kinds of ideas. I, you know, I imagine legalizing weed and it, and, uh, you know, gambling are probably fairly popular among people. What, what is, uh, the reception to your ideas been like there on the ground in the past? It's been great. Uh, also I'm an activist for releasing political prisoners and I helped, uh, get Chelsea Manning released, uh, from prison, uh, made phone calls to the department of justice when Obama was leaving office. And luckily we, we got, uh, Chelsea Manning released and also, uh, people made a, uh, so yeah, basically, um, I'm working on activist issues all the time and nothing in my campaign is promises. It's, it's all activist issues I'm working on all the time. I was saying, Back uh, back in uh, 2016, I was working on getting Chelsea Manning released from prison, and I called the DOJ several times to request that that clemency, and uh, we we got that from Barack Obama leaving office. He uh, gave clemency to Chelsea Manning, and that was a big win. And uh, these are activist issues that I'm working on all the time, and also the release of Julian Assange in prison. He's in prison right now in the UK without a trial. He's being held in the maximum security prison. And uh, people did pursue uh, him getting a pardon by Trump before Trump left office. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. So it's all activist issues all the time for my campaign. Of course, I'm in South Carolina and our cannabis laws are totally backwards here. And I think now we have to approach it from the uh, the uh, perspective of, hey, it's legal in all these other states. Why can't we get up to date in some in some of the south, the southern states and uh, these other states that don't have adequate medical marijuana laws? And uh, it's just a uphill battle one step at a time. So I basically approach it one step at a time as an activist with all the issues. It is pretty frustrating, isn't it? The marijuana laws here in the south. I've born and raised in the South. I live in Texas now. So I definitely understand the, uh, the frustration there, uh, with the weed laws, even with, you know, even with just medical marijuana, there are so many States, especially some of these Southern States that are just so restrictive, even though I I don't know how many States have legalized up to this point, 20 something, maybe even around 30. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there are definitely um, medical but, benefits to cannabis and huge medical benefits across the board with so many ailments. And uh, if we can just get Texas and South Carolina to come up to date with all the other states, it'd be great. Uh, I do think that they're basically Jim Crow laws that are keeping minorities down and, you know, send minorities to jail right. in, 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 in exorbitant rates. And, um, there's a lot of work to be done, but the hope, you know, we have a lot of hope that uh, that we will get that done. And of course, getting a libertarian president would go a long way. So we need to pursue that and uh, run many libertarian candidates across the board. I'm going to support all libertarian candidates for all offices as well, willing to help any other campaigns uh, with either support, direct support or logistics. Uh, I can also lead by example. My website has a lot of education about libertarianism. You can read articles about jury nullification, non-aggression principle, term limits, voluntarianism, 
and you can read the entire constitution. I have the entire constitution on the front of my website and in, inside my website. Um, my campaign is self-funded. I'm actually a Google administrator of my own website. Uh, so I don't need donations. We may switch to donations in next year. Uh, once we get the, once we get, um, with the FEC, once I file with the FEC, but I don't need them for the next year. And, uh, you know, I can just do interviews and travel and talk to people right now, uh, self-funded. So, um, yeah, my campaign is running full throttle and, uh, we're accepting volunteers. My email is dunhamkeenan at gmail.com. If anybody wants to email me and join the campaign, there's plenty to do and feel free to work on all activism on your own. You know, everybody can just be vocal about what their beliefs are and uh, what they want to change in the United States. And it's all these issues, just pick up any of them and be an advocate for anything, you know? Yeah, it, it's so important to getting people involved just, you know, on that kind of, on that ground level. You know, I mean, if you can't get people educated and involved and, you know, doing activist work like you're doing, it, it's so hard to make progress on a number of these issues, especially ones that you've mentioned, you know, unless people really, really get out there and, and you know, do what they can and play their part. But also, like you said, you know, elect libertarian leaders that believe the same things that you believe, want to protect your civil liberties. And um, I, I think people getting involved is, is just so, so important. So, you know, whether you're volunteering for, uh, you know, your campaign or, you know, doing any other kind of activist work, just, you know, trying to get your voice heard in any way possible is just is just so crucial. It's hard to do sometimes, but it is absolutely crucial for making progress yes. on these issues. And uh, something related to Texas that I would like to talk about. Uh, I was trying to get uh, John Henry Ramirez uh, off the death penalty in Texas and making phone calls to the Texas Department of Justice and the governor's office. Uh, that was last year, and uh, it was really heartfelt because uh, up until... So his story is he was in the military when he was 18 and got out and uh, was pretty destitute and ended up killing someone over a small amount of money at a, as a, a clerk at a convenience store. And uh, when he was, he was on death row for over 17 years. And uh, he asked for a pastor to lay hands on him uh, while he was being executed and that was denied. But then the Supreme Court stepped in. So he was due to be executed and uh, um, the Supreme Court stepped in 30 minutes before and gave him a stay and uh, halted his execution. And I didn't hear about it till the next day that they had halted the execution. Well, then this year he was executed. He, he got his allowance of having a pastor lay their hands on uh, for, for prayer on him, but he was executed, unfortunately. I'm trying to get the death penalty abolished across the United States and it's a really heartfelt uh, journey, you know, that I've taken, and and uh, you know, I do pray for him, and uh, it's very sad that we had to that that we, we that our, uh, the Texas governor would go that far as to uh, 
execute a honorably discharged Marine is pretty horrible. Yeah. And, you know, sadly, it's, you know, not really all that surprising, you know, like with the governor that that we had. Of course, I, I talked with uh, Mark Tippett's who, you know, libertarian that mm-hmm. ran against him. And, you know, ultimately, uh, Mark was unsuccessful. But yeah, I mean, I, I've been living in Texas for almost two years now. And when when you've got a, a governor like Greg Abbott, it seems like nothing is off the table, you know, with with regard to what he'll do to just enact his will and and get his way. Um, what, what do you think it would take to kind of get rid of the death penalty here in the states? I mean, would it have to be like a like a constitutional amendment? Or I mean, what could we do to finally take the death penalty just just off the table? It's probably going to take a lot of activist work in every state that there's a death penalty still. And but it could come up in something in the Supreme Court. It could come up from a bill in Congress. Basically, I've learned over the years that the shotgun approach, uh, pursuing all avenues, is the best way to succeed. Uh, you need a lot of people involved, and you know a lot of different areas of expertise. Uh, we're trying that with Julian Assange. We're trying to get the Australian government involved. We're, you know, uh, we've got uh, an ex. Um, uh, Parliament head in Jeremy Corbyn, who's now on board for Julian Assange's freedom. So that's high profile. And oh, wow. uh, he was just at the Belmarsh Tribunal in D.C. talking about uh, the human rights violations against Julian Assange. He's, he's held without a trial. He's, he's basically being tortured because he's in solitary confinement for weeks on end. And uh, the the government actually pursued extrajudiciary means to harm him and his family. There were plans to kill Julian Assange that the U.S. government pursued, and I think that totally taints the case. It's a totally political case. Um, it's basically on a whim that he was charged, and he's charged with a maximum penalty of 175 years in prison when he was just the publisher of documents, and he is a journalist absolutely because he is wikileaks has only published information given to them and he's worked with high profile news outlets you know uh guardian uh new york times and they've actually come out and said that they think that that he needs to be freed so we just keep getting more and more people on board and uh you need a, a huge team of activists to accomplish things like this yeah, and I think you're right too that that you you know you want to you want to tackle all these different approaches at one time instead of kind of just putting all your chips in on one one way. You know, you think about it kind of like a like a chessboard. Right. You know, you want to you know you want to move you know this piece when you can, this piece when you can. You want to be making progress incrementally across the board at all times. And so I you know I like. Um, you know, I like that you're, you're you're this involved with you know trying to get Assange out. You know, I was reading through your you know your Twitter and your website, and um, I, you you said uh, on Twitter you know that it's your you know your number one priority. Um, you know, is freeing him. So uh, you know, is there is there any hope at the light or you know at the end of the tunnel for for Assange or or is it just an eventuality that he's extradited to the United States because that's um, that does seem to be kind of what's 
coming next or potentially what's coming next. Right. It keeps going up in the courts and uh, we want to take it to the Supreme Court. And uh, he was actually uh, granted a stay at a lower court in the UK. And then the high court turned it over and ruled he could be extradited. It would it could take anything from uh, the uh, Australian government saying something about it to the UK government having enough or some, or me becoming president would actually, you know, I could instantly pardon him that, that, so I'm just part of the shotgun approach. You know, think of me as like, uh, I'm the, the rook in this and, uh, you know, I'm moving this way and other people are trying their best moving other ways. And it, and, you know, you just keep going until you know, something doesn't work and, and, uh, we just keep at it, you know? Yeah. Could you, uh, could you maybe give like a little, this might be kind of a tall task, but I feel like a lot of people, you know, their, their association with, with Assange is the whole, you know, the 2016, the DNC emails and everything like that. I feel like that's what a lot of people, particularly younger folks that are more activist minded, that's kind of their only uh, knowledge of Assange is that right there. But his, his career spans back much further and he was, you know, he was involved with a lot of different things regarding the, the Middle East. So maybe for some of our, you know, younger viewers, you know, could you give maybe a brief overview of, of Assange and WikiLeaks and just kind of like, well, more so how he ended up here today in this particular situation? Yes. Uh, so, yes, he, WikiLeaks has exposed quite a lot of war crimes, including video of uh, U.S. soldiers firing on civilians and uh, if it wasn't for uh, whistleblowers like this, we wouldn't know about abuses in uh, detention centers in Iraq where they were, you know, stacking up people and taking photographs for fun with them and things like that. You know, and, uh, they're, right. you know, killing small children. Uh, those are things that need to be uh, whistleblown and uh, taken out of the military and and, and uh, also we wouldn't be able to question the narrative of going into Iraq in the first place if it wasn't for people like Julian Assange. Um, and we, we don't want to start jailing our publishers and our journalists because that's a slippery slope to jailing anybody who speaks out uh, against uh, oppression. And, and uh, they're, they're also a neutral viewpoint. Uh, basically, they're publishing information and letting people digest it themselves. So, uh, you know, they're, they're totally innocent. There's, and it's never been proven that there's any harm done to anybody, but of anything WikiLeaks has ever published because they do redact names and, uh, they take careful consideration to, to things that are supposed to be classified and they're not seeking out classified documents. That's just not what they're doing. If someone's killing civilians, that's what they're publishing. Okay, and that's not top secret information. Um, that's journalism. So what he's in prison now for, uh, the reason he was taken out of the embassy in London, he was in exile in an embassy, Ecuadorian embassy in London, uh, was basically the UK government uh, ruled that he had... Uh, jumped his bail and had not gone through the, the proper bail process. So his uh, mm -hmm. status was revoked. 
uh, actually that was in conjunction with the government changing in Ecuador. And uh, there is evidence that the U.S. government intervened in the election in Ecuador to get someone who would give them Julian Assange. Uh, we went as far as uh, doing some contra affairs with other elections uh, in, in other democracies to get Julian Assange. It's, it's pretty horrible. And um, the Spanish government was also involved with spying on Julian Assange while he was in the embassy. Of course, what is what is Spain's motivation? Well, they have a motivation to control the Ecuadorian government traditionally as a colonial state. So there's all kinds of different motivations with involved with this. And uh, people are profiting off him being in prison and uh, they're afraid of him um, because he produces the truth. Uh, it's not as if he is going to be released and do something, you know, so spectacular. It's just that he's a human being like anybody else and he has human rights and, and, uh, we need to give him his human rights and get him back to his family. And actually the only victims that can be proven are his family. He and his family are the victims in this case. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's very, it's very transparent that like all these, all these efforts to get him to the United States are just to silence him. So he's no longer a threat to the system that they've, they've constructed. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, the, you know, the, the, the 2016 election was so polarized and the leaks that were associated with that. There are some people that, you know, for that reason alone, you know, they'll, they'll never like him, and that's, that's whatever. But I think the more people see this process play out, they're like, okay, like you guys are really just trying to get him here so you can lock him away and throw away the key and, and, and shut him up for good. I mean, that's what it was like, I think, to anyone who's, you know, even even barely familiar with his case. Right. I mean, he's an Australian citizen. He doesn't, he doesn't really care about uh, the, the swing between Democrat and Republican over here. It's not like, uh, right. or it's not like he would ever endorse me or anything like that. It's not, I don't have anything to gain out of this either. Um, you know, it's just, it's basic human rights and protecting freedom of the press and protecting free speech. And if we don't protect other people's free speech, our free speech is a threat, which we've seen on Twitter and uh, social media regarding COVID in the past few years and everything else that our free speech is threatened. So this is the front line of protecting free speech, freeing someone like Julian Assange, even if it doesn't amount to any other changes, you know. Right. And, and you know, it, it's such a slippery slope too. Like, it, you know, one day it's Julian Assange and then, you know, the next day it's the rest of us. And, and like you said, we've been witnessing this kind of thing happening with, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all these different social media companies over the past few years. And I mean, people on both sides of the aisle here in the States are, are pretty upset about that, but you know, they don't apply that same, that same viewpoint to Assange, you know, for whatever reason they've constructed in their head, he's different. He's a bad actor. Even worse, he's an enemy of the United States. It's, it's just odd that they don't make that connection that like, you know, protecting free speech and protecting civil liberties like that, that involves Julian Assange too. 
It absolutely does. It has to. Yeah, that's where I take the approach of mutual respect. And uh, regarding Twitter, uh, I was actually banned from Twitter, and they would never give me a reason why um, for six <laughs> months. And uh, it was it was before uh, Elon Musk took over that I was reinstated. But really, it does coincide with that, and I think that's important. We have to respect everybody's free speech, and I also want to you know respect trump's free speech he he should be allowed on twitter and facebook and social media there's no reason you can ban someone and not for the cancel culture uh i want uh you know people to put out their strongest message and let the message uh be the truth and and what people decide on so i think i could take on trump based on the ideas i'm willing to let him be out there and say whatever he wants to say and let it speak for itself. And, you know, he deserves mutual respect. Everybody does. You know, Biden can run. I'm going to respect anybody else running for president. And I want them to bring their best game. I'm one of those people who wishes the best on my on my opponents, and it's not personal at all. So I want them to bring their best game to what I'm presenting. And I just feel that I'm what I'm presenting is more just, more true, and is uh, the best future for mankind. And that's what I hope for. So I just think that the ideas should compete, not the, uh, not, not militarization of the justice department, not, uh, collusion and, uh, um, oligarchy type control of corporations. So that's just stretching the arms of the government making the government able to control tech companies. We don't need that. And that's, our freedoms right there. Uh, let people say what they want on Twitter. That's our freedoms. Okay. You got, you got to have free speech. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I wanted to, um, bring up some of the other, uh, things you talk about on your, um, your website. Uh, cause you know, I read through it and I was scrolling through, uh, some different things. And, um, you also talk about Ross Ulbrich, the, the man who created the, the Silk Road and that was used on the, you know, the dark web to, to buy and sell drugs. And I, I think the, you know, from a free speech perspective, I think the case, you know, if you're, you're, you're making the case to voters that Julian Assange should be freed, I think the free speech argument is, is very powerful. And, and, and resonates with a lot of people, I think Ross Ulbricht might come off a little different because there is still that taboo around drugs, like we were talking about earlier, earlier in the, in the Southern States, you know, how, how would you go about making the case to voters that, that Ulbricht should also be one of these people that, that needs to be freed? Cause he's also doing life in life in prison too. I believe, uh, I forget where. Yes. At, but... He's in federal prison for multiple convictions. And I feel like, and I do have, uh, you know, free Ross Ulrich on the very front of my page, along, along with Julian Assange, and I want to keep their names uh, in the press. And basically, uh, there's no victim, no direct victim to anything Ross Ulrich did, because he just created a, uh, a, a software and an avenue that was open software. Basically, he created something that was uh, encrypted. Okay, that's actually advanced in technology. Um, he didn't he didn't trade in drugs himself. And uh, 
you know, it's, it's basically comes down to no victim, no crime. Uh, he's seen as someone who is disrupting the control the government has on people. And uh, he's, you know, seen as someone who is threatening their hegemony. But basically, he's a very peaceful person. I would give him clemency, you know. Uh, I think he's been a, a model prisoner as well. I think that also plays into a factor if you look at what he's done. Um, and he's actually gone back to school. He's pursuing a undergraduate in psychology in prison. So basically, I think he's served his time. If he, if you want to even claim that he's, you know, harmed people or done something, that I think he's already served enough time. I think that for a victimless crime like that, and for a nonviolent offense, he should already be freed. He's been in prison long enough. Uh, when do you remember when he went in? Was it about about 2014, 2013? I'm not sure. It's, there? Uh, it's almost been a decade now. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, did his appeal, his appeal got denied by the Supreme court. Didn't it a while back? Um, he's, he can always seek parole. I'm pretty sure, uh, still. So I'm, I'm sure he goes up for parole sometimes and maybe he'll get that, but I just, I'm seeking his clemency, uh, and his release. So I think it's, uh, good libertarian message for victimless crimes and nonviolent offenders to be released. So that I just definitely want to keep his name in the press. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like we said earlier, any progress that can be made there for, for, uh, him and Assange both should be, should be pursued. Um, your, your campaign, uh, website talks about some, some big goals that, uh, that you pursue, you know, you talk about on the website, curing AIDS and, and cancer. It's actually something I talked with Joshua Rodriguez about too. And then, you know, there's a, there's a section about, um, you know, the growing population and, and expanding into, into space and, um, you know, very, very bold things like that. And, you know, your, your website also says that that's going to require, uh, a great deal of, you know, worldwide trust and, and cooperation. And, you know, I, I talked with, uh, you know, Mr. Rodriguez about a little bit about it last week, but what, what does cultivating that kind of trust look like? I mean, can we really ever get to a point where that, that level of cooperation is, is, is possible to see something like the human race expanding into space or, or something yeah, like uh, what I do talk about also on the website is ways that we can get the government out of the way of those things. And we don't need the government controlling health care. So I'm against a single payer or, or government run health care system. We need the free markets to be freed and get our, get our hands off and stop tying their hands, basically. And also with space. I advocate that we make all the uh, patents uh, free use for open source for anybody of NASA's. So basically, uh, not privatized, but really just open source all of NASA. So uh, as long as it's not a weapon, basically, anything that they've ever worked on needs to be in the research realm so that anybody in the public domain 
can, uh, you know, do their research and, and start a company and uh, be in the space industry. We need to cause a revolution with open source uh, along the same lines. We need to do that with the medical system. Uh, I do believe there is going to be research with cannabis that shows that it can uh, help along tracks with cancer. And it's obviously alleviates pain of people who have AIDS or have cancer. So why, why does it alleviate pain? And, um, what, uh, what, you know, in, I've done a lot of research myself and actually, uh, the reason cited, uh, uh, cannabis, both CBD and THC help, uh, people in pain is because it stops the uh, release of cytokines in the mitochondria within a cell and uh, that reduces inflammation so there's a lot more research that can be done not just the way it affects the brain but the way it affects every cell Uh, and uh, the mitochondria is where aids reproduces and becomes a virus and then it blows up and, and infects a cell and that cell starts infecting other cells so there is some some kind of research that should be done. And uh, we, with something like AIDS, uh, we can look at how it uh, works and how it infects, and then look at ways to stop it at every turn to actually come up with a cure. A cure is still gonna be a holistic approach at every level. You don't wanna get infected. You don't wanna infect other people. You wanna neutralize it where it's at. You wanna keep it from changing from HIV to AIDS. And uh, cannabis is definitely something that has been used in the treatment of alleviation of the pain of AIDS. So it definitely needs more research and we need to get out of the way of that. I'm not saying the government needs to do it. It's not me as the president or the government that's gonna lead these things. It's gonna be the free market. So I'm saying and explaining how to get the government out of the way and legalizing cannabis in all states is important for medical research as well. We need it legitimized so all research can be done with it. And that goes with all drugs. Decriminalize all drugs so all the research can be done without you getting the uh, the stamp of disapproval by the American Medical Association or somebody because you did research on a drug. You know, we know Big Pharma does this research they probably know more than we right. than than the general public knows about what, and they don't like cannabis because it's a seed and it can be planted and anybody can have it. You know, they don't want it to just be able to alleviate symptoms of anybody and everybody can grow it. You know, they hate cannabis in the big pharma industry. We could be using that instead of prescri- prescription drugs across the board. Well, they are losing their grip in many states, so they will lose their grip uh, against the, so. Basically, Big Pharma is against the legalization of cannabis. Well, we need to legalize cannabis in all states because it's medically needed. Yeah, and it does feel like that is a battle that they they are slowly losing that battle and they will eventually lose it. And, you know, like you said, like government, they also need to get out of the way of us, you know, like legalizing these drugs and fully realizing their potential. It's just it's crazy that we wouldn't you know, have an all hands on deck approach to solving these issues that affect 
so many people. I mean, you know, especially cancer. Everybody knows somebody that's had it or has had it themselves. I mean, this is something that would improve the quality of life for right. everybody. You know, the, the idea that we wouldn't have, you know, all states, you know, looking at all these different drugs and seeing their seeing what their potential really is. It's just it's it's crazy that we wouldn't have a system like that in effect. Yeah, it's basically uh, built up so big pharma can do that research alone and they're the only ones doing that research. But uh, there's a lot of potential if we legalize it for everybody and also for, of course, use as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They want you to have to go to them to get, you know, to get your drugs, to get what you need. And of course, they're going to make a killing doing it. But like you said, you know, with weed, it's, you know, everybody would be able to plant it, grow it, you you know, use it for whatever they wanted to use it for. I, um, yeah, I just, I, I definitely hope we're not too far away from a future where, where everybody is able to do that. I'm hoping, especially, you know, as someone that right. lives in Texas, <laughs> if we can get the raw bowl in a little quicker, that would be, uh, that right. would be pretty nice. Yeah, I think it's going to cause a revolution and basis, the basis of all this is, independence and uh you know i just basically preach about not being dependent on the government because the government is going to screw it up uh their their approach is uh not based in science it's bloated uh it's you know it's dated uh there's waste there's corruption get the government out of the way um we don't, we don't need a government program for everything. Basically, we need to make all government programs voluntary. And basically, if you look down to it uh, in society, uh, the government is just another entity that is offering services. None of them, and, and they get away with it by making those services mandatory, like the monetary system, uh, the post office. I'm not privatizing, so that's the word that Democrats like to use against libertarians. You're privatizing and you're making everything for, for profit. No, what we're doing is we're making everything open source and voluntary. Uh, we want everybody to be able to function in a free society and to have a free society. We need the government to get out of the way. And that's why the, 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 the Democrat party is a socialist party because they think the government is going to solve everything. Uh, just because there's poor people out there, it doesn't mean you need to uh, come up with something that, that the government does to help them and, and clothe them and feed them. The government doesn't need to do that. You need to get rid of the personal income tax and, and encourage people to have jobs, you know, it, make it affordable to not live on welfare, to have one job. If every if everybody had their personal income tax, they weren't paying into that, and it was voluntary. You know, you could still have a a government savings program, but what we need to look at the government is as a service, and we need to make all those services voluntary. So you can have a medical program that I can pay into a savings program, and Medicare will finance me if I choose to pay into it. And you can have a social security system. I, you know, as a libertarian, I can't say we're just going to abolish social security and everybody who's paid into it is going to get nothing. No, I'm absolutely not going to do that. We're making small changes that make a big difference. We're going to make it voluntary 
So if you want to have a savings account with the government, you can do that. But if you want to opt out, you can opt out. Same with public schools, opt out of public schools, take your money back. You know, everything needs to be voluntary and the government is just another service. It's a service with a citizenship stamp on it. So uh, we need to make this a, a free society and that's just small incremental changes that we're making all the time. Oh yeah. And, um, I think that's really the, um, like the way to, to phrase it too, is like being able to, to opt out, making it voluntary. I think, um, if there was one thing, you know, in the past couple of years that, that really kind of turned people on to, uh, well, I mean, for me, it, you know, it turned me on to libertarianism, but it, it was the, uh, the COVID pandemic the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates. And you had a lot of people who, you know, they're not, they're not crazy conspiracy, right wing anti-vax people. They just want to be able to make those decisions for yourself. And, you, you know, b applying that same concept to, like you said, uh, public schools and, and, a, and a government savings fund and everything like that. I, I think there's a really good way that libertarians can kind of tie those things together because it's not, you know, like American voters at large don't want to abolish the government or, or anything like that. But a lot of them wishes that government would leave them alone a right. little more than than they do. Not poke and prod and investigate people for, you know, $600 Venmo transfers and Things like that. Everybody kind of wishes the government would, would pump its brakes and step back and just not, you know, harass them to death. And um, people feel that way about, you know, like I said, you know, mask mandates, vaccine mandates and stuff like that. But, you know, they, they need to open their eyes a little more and, and see that, you know, a lot of these other government programs could be could be voluntary, too. They, they could be opt in, too. You could choose whether you wanted to participate or right. not. And uh, basically, I consider the, the stuff I'm putting out there a roadmap to a just society. It's going to take years, definitely. Uh, but this is the plan and the, uh, the, the roadmap and the, the white paper to basically making our lives better, more free, just, and to take our human rights back. That's awesome, man. I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad there's a candidate like you out there that's, that's putting those plans out and, and really fighting for those things. Um, are there any other big policies uh, that, that you're running on that, that we haven't hit on yet? I know we've covered some of the big ones, but you know, what, what are some other things that you're, you're talking about when you talk to voters and go to these conventions? What, what are some other things that are really top? Yeah, around? sure. Let's talk about immigration. Uh, so, um, all right. I have a plan uh, for legal immigration, and I put that on my website. And I've also put it in Spanish. Um, it's a five-point plan, but it's only one thing is, is very key to that, and, and one thing alone that we need to do, and that is to offer unlimited workers visas. I think that would go the biggest way to uh, changing everything for the immigration process. Uh, basically, at every turn point. And if we don't want a mass of unknown people influxing into our country, 
and uh, and uh, not being able to tell who's causing problems from everybody else who just wants to work, there needs to be a pathway to citizenship at every turn. And we need to make it very easy for people to get documented. Uh, so basically, we need to have unlimited workers' visas right now. And the only thing that would disqualify you from having a workers' visa is if you're a violent felon. Then, then the only people who aren't documented are going to be the violent felons who are not, not the poor people who are the victims of the cartels who are, you know, having to traffic the drugs or being forced to upon threat of death. But uh, it's only going to be the very violent people who aren't documented. And uh, we don't need detainments. Uh, we don't need to be deporting people uh, who can get documented. We need to go ahead and document them, and it needs to be a legal process. And basically, Congress has done nothing for 20 years to improve the immigration process, and it's been Congress's fault and the and the last couple of presidents who have done nothing to improve immigration. And and there is an answer out there, and uh, that's what what I'm promoting. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you you talk about it too, because. Um... I, I live in San Antonio, which is you know, about about two or so miles uh, from the border, and I've definitely gotten more familiar with immigration and border issues since I've lived here. And I, I'm glad you're you know you're you're putting immigration at sort of the forefront because it is just it, it's really sad what a lot of these immigrants have to go through uh, to get here. I mean, we could we could spend all day just talking about some of the different horror stories that you hear about. Uh, you know, that, that travel up here. And I mean, we make it so difficult for them to become citizens. I mean, that process can take, I mean, it can literally take decades for people to finally jump through all the hoops and get approved. And, you know, like you said, <clears throat> you know, Congress, uh, the past couple presidents, they, they haven't done, you know, they complain about it all the time, but they haven't done anything, you know, in my lifetime really to improve the situation down there at all. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm glad you talk about, you know, making it easier for people to become citizens. And like you said, I think unlimited work visas, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you, you would know exactly who's coming over here. And, um, you know, we, we, we need to make the process overall just so, so much easier for immigrants to, to come over. And I feel like that's, that's a part that gets left out of a lot of the, the national conversation on illegal immigration. It's, you know, it's, it's, how can we push them away? How can we get rid of them? You know, but you know, why not, why not just make the whole process easier for them as a whole? Why, you know, why would we not do that? Yeah. I think, uh, the, the main reason people don't, uh, stay undocumented and are in the dark is because they have the threats against them, uh, of being illegal. You know, that's why they have to run up the rivers and run up the, the border uh, because they have threats against them on both sides. Uh, you know, they've got the cartels on one side and the uh, U.S. government on the other, and they're stuck in between. And it's a really difficult situation that we can alleviate. So I definitely want to do that. Yeah. And it is, you know, for a lot of those people, it is literally, you know, the cartel or the U.S. government. I've, I've been to some of the towns 
along the border. And I mean, it's just everywhere you look, there's, there's military, there's police, there's, you know, there, there, there's a big wall. There's just, there's a lot of different stuff to, to really terrify immigrants trying to come over. It's not, you know, I, I don't imagine it's easy living in one of those towns on, on this side of the border. I can't imagine, you know, being stuck between that and then, you know, like, like a, like a violent situation, you know, for in, in Central America or whatever, whatever they would be returning to, you know, I mean, it, they're, they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place and there's nobody picking up the slack doing anything to, to, to make any progress, to, to, to get these people over and give them yeah. a better life. And I also think we need to become uh, better partners with Mexico. They're our closest neighbor and uh, we need to have dialogue going on all, all the time. Uh, with them about uh, improving our our trade status with them, and and uh, they should be our number one trading partner. Um, you know, uh, we can have a lot of manufacturing back and forth. Uh, you know, improving their situation improves our situation. We need to see it as uh, building up North America and South America as our closest neighbors. We need to build up together with them as far as infrastructure and uh, uh, our economies. Uh, we need to see their economy coming up as our economy coming up because they will go up together. Uh, and, uh, you know, horrible situation in Mexico does not help us. And obviously that's what's going on. Yeah, you know, it's so horrible right now with the fighting the cartels and, and all the violence there. So. Oh yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, different violence in Mexico that's that's been in the news as of late, and um, we definitely need to start thinking of Mexico as, like you said, our closest neighbor because they are. And if we lift them up and we lift the other Latin America and, and South America's uh, countries up, we will all prosper. I mean, that's how. I mean, that's how an agreement like that would work. There, there, our our potential there is not being utilized we definitely need to you know lean on them more and and have them lean on us more. yeah and then the border will be normalized and people won't just be running from oppression to get here uh they'll just be you know neighbors they you know if mexico wasn't having so many problems people people wouldn't have to come here in droves yeah. right yeah if you know if every place was as as free and prosperous as the United States, or even just a, you know, a fraction of it, really the, the quality of life in those places would improve so much. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to make those, you know, 2000 mile journeys to get up to the border. Um, yeah, I definitely hope that's something we can see kind of in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of want to wind down here as we're, as we're approaching an hour, I wanted to bring up one thing that, that just kind of wasn't, uh, really related to your campaign, but, uh, I know you're, you're, you're spending uh, the next couple of months, you're going to be writing a novel. And I was, I was curious if you, have you written other books before? Is this, is this a first novel? Can you, can you tell us anything about it? Uh, what, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. that. I did want to talk about that. And actually I have some, uh, pretty, uh, happy news on my end. I actually got tapped to write a screenplay as well. So, uh, the first oh, thing wow. I wrote was a role-playing game called Necrotopia that I self-published, and I own a publishing company called Troll Hunter Gaming. 
So I made a role-playing game kind of like Dungeons & Dragons and uh, released that in 2018 on Kickstarter, and that was a success. So the, the novel I'm writing is going to be in that universe, uh, Necrotopia, and it's, it's basically like an apocalyptic RPG set in a, a, a land where you can have no rules as far as magic and occult things and things like that. So it's like a sandbox RPG where you can create your own moves and things like that. So it's it's fun for kids and adults, and it's very easy to play. Uh, it has like a, a low threshold for starting a game, so you can play it like a party game, like Monopoly. So a lot of people can play it with never having played any RPG before. So that was my first book. And then I started writing a novel that I'm about 50, 60 pages in, which is the storyline of this game. So I started that, but I have to actually put that one on hold because I just got tapped to write a screenplay, which I can't talk much about that because it's in the works. But uh, it is a fiction, and it's not to do with Necrotopia, but I am writing a screenplay for a movie right now that I was commissioned to do. So that's really exciting for me. So I'm a career writer. That's my job. I, I own a publishing company. I've owned other companies like property management and, and uh, website development too, but... Um, uh, right now, I'm a full-time writer, and uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Dude, that's awesome. That, that kind of stuff is is right up my alley. I'm definitely going to have to look up Necrotopia and, and everything that you just mentioned. Oh, man, that's so exciting. And the screenplay is is really great news. That is awesome to hear. I hope, I hope that goes well. Um, I hope your presidential campaign goes well. And uh, just take a minute here to kind of give people your – you know, shout out your social media handles, your website, everything like that. Where can people find Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yep. I'm on pretty much every social media. You can find me on Facebook personally. You can find my campaign on Facebook. My website is Dunham2024.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, Twitter. My handle on Twitter is K Dunham, the number four piece. That's where I'm most active talking about Julian Assange and things like that. Um, you can find Necrotopia on Amazon and uh, DriveThroughRPG.com. It's actually free. The PDF is free if you want to download it on DriveThroughRPG.com. Um, and, uh, you know, I am available if anybody wants to call me, email me. My phone number and uh, um, email are on Twitter. So if anybody wants to join the campaign or uh, has a question for me, please send those over. All right. Awesome. Keenan Dunn, thank you for coming on the show, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's it has awesome. been awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.